1: Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matasek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Since the earliest centuries of the Church, Catholics have maintained a strong devotion to the Eucharist. Eucharistic Adoration has become especially meaningful to many Catholics. What exactly is Eucharistic Adoration, and why do Catholics practice it? What impact can Adoration have in your life? Joining us to answer those questions and more is Father James Boric, rector of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Baltimore. Father Boric, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. So, when we talk about Eucharistic adoration, I think we need to start by looking at what Catholics believe about the Eucharist itself. Could you
2: explain what the Eucharist is and how it connects to adoration? Sure. Well, I mean, we know that from Jesus' own words that the Eucharist is, it's him. It's his body, blood, soul, and divinity. He stood in the, in the synagogue in Capernaum not too, not too many days before he was going to go to the cross. And he said to everybody, after just working this incredible miracle, you know, feeding the 4,000 with just a few loaves and fishes. And everybody was looking at, you know, basically wanted him to work another magic trick. And he said, look, I am the true bread that has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life within them. And you know. so he, he made it really clear that the Eucharist is really him and that when you do this in memory of him, namely the Mass and the priests say the words that he commanded them to say at that Last Supper, that he literally comes to us, that he, he brings us back to the cross, and he brings us back to the mysteries of, of when he walked on this earth, the, his life, death, and resurrection, but that also he's there with us bodily form so that he's he's on the journey with us. So when, when we go to Mass and the priest says those words, that Eucharist is no longer just simple bread and simple wine, but it truly is Jesus, the same Jesus that walked the earth, the same Jesus that worked those miracles, the same Jesus that taught the truth, the path to heaven. That's the Jesus that comes to us in the Eucharist. So how did the practice of adoration get started? So I think there's a lot of ways. Honestly, I think when you look at scripture I think the earliest example of adoration is of course Mary and Joseph and the magi and the shepherds adoring our Lord in the manger which has so much Eucharistic undertones to it right there it's another interview but there's so much there you know Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem which literally means house of bread he was put into this manger which is a place where food is put and you know so I mean already Jesus from the very instances of his birth is saying the Eucharist is real the Eucharist is real and you've got Mary and Joseph, and you've got these, the Magi and the shepherds, just adoring him. And that was really that's paving the way for Eucharistic adoration. And when you look even as as early as just after the apostolic times, you know you've got um, the Gnostics and others who are denying the reality of the Eucharist. And you've got someone like Ignatius of Antioch, who was literally in chains, being being drugged all the way to Rome for martyrdom, and he was warning against the Gnostics. He was saying, look, you know that is the same Jesus in the Eucharist that walked this earth just a few years ago. And so the Christians, the Catholics, were inspired by that. And even the hermits who lived during those times, they began to reserve the Eucharist in their own hermitages. One is to be able to give themselves uh, the Eucharist, to be able to receive him. But also they realized that as they had his presence, the Eucharist, in their own dwelling space, that... The reverence they owed to that was tremendous, and so they would literally worship the God of the universe in their own in their own cells. And you know, early, not too long after that, around 120 A.D., you actually had bishops who would take a tiny part of the the host during the celebration of mass, and it's called *fermentum*, the practice where they would take this little particle of the host and they would take it to another diocese and the receiving bishop would take that piece of the, of the Eucharist and consume it during mass as a sign of the great unity and the reverence owed uh, to the Eucharist and to, to fellow Catholics. Mm. So, and then from there, you know, it really began in the monasteries where they would actually set aside special spaces or rooms near the altar of the sanctuary where the, where the, the monks would, would literally worship God in the, in, the, in their sacred space in the monastery. Mm.
1: So when we talk about adoration in its modern form, what, what does it
2: involved? What is adoration in its modern form? So it's exactly the same thing. It's taking the consecrated host, which we know to be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We place that, that host into a monstrance. And literally that is placed on the altar and people come and worship. Just as the Magi and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, it says, Matthew 2.11 says, they prostrated themselves and did him homage. People today come in front of the altar, in front of the the blessed sacrament in the monstrance, and we prostrate ourselves, and we do Him homage. And that's simply what adoration is. What has been your own experience of Eucharistic adoration? My own experience is that uh, it's essential to the spiritual life. So, I mean, I personally make a holy hour every single day. That's where my life comes from. It comes from the Eucharist. And so just to be there in front of God, you know, we profess him to be God. <laughs> so why not go to him with all of our problems or go to him for inspiration? Go to worship him, to be with him, just to sit with him. So personally, adoration for me is hand in hand with my priesthood. Um, in the basilica, it's been amazing. We've had, we have adoration every Tuesday from 8 o'clock to 4, and people come and just including you, and come and literally just spend an hour with our Lord, interceding for our families and for our parish and for our world, for our city, which needs prayers. And you know, we've had something here where we had uh, seven days of adoration, continuous, to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Fatima, where people literally said it would be impossible to get that many people coming into the city. But we opened our Basilica around day and night and had adoration 24-7 for seven days, and every single hour was filled. Mm. And for most of those days, there was no murders in Baltimore. Mm. So that the power of that prayer in our city in our world is tremendous.
1: I know a lot of people say that they'd like to do something like this. They'd like to make a holy hour, but they just don't know what to do or what to say. What kind of advice would you have for people who just don't know
2: where to begin in making a holy hour? I think the, the crux of the holy hour is just recognizing that you're literally in the presence of God and that he makes himself so accessible. And when, you know, I tell people, and, and I try to do it myself, just be real and just speak to him from your heart. You don't have to just say you know, prayers or certain words, but just speak to him as you would speak to a friend. And if you need help, ask him directly. You know, you want to hear his voice? Tell him you want to hear his voice. If you're struggling with a certain sin, lay it out for him. And then I always would say, just have some time to be quiet where we're not talking. And it's like a friendship, you know? If, if you're doing all the talking, then you're not doing any listening. And we need to have it both ends. We, we need to speak to him from our heart, and then we need to listen to him in our heart. And if we go there with that sort of humility, you always hear, you'll always hear him speak to you.
1: I know there are several parishes in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that offer perpetual adoration, which is having the the Blessed Sacrament exposed for adoration 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then you also have parishes like here at the Basilica where you have scheduled hours for adoration. What is the value of setting an appointment for adoration and then trying to keep it once a week or on a regular basis?
2: Sure. I think, again, it's all about relationship. And you you think about a married man. If you don't spend time with your wife, that marriage is going to struggle. And, you know, a married man professes to love his wife more than any other person on this earth. And so the one way that we show that is with our time and just being present to each other. Well, as Catholics, of course, we profess to love God above everyone and everything. But do we spend time with him? You know, do we spend time with the one that we say is the most important that we love the most? So adoration really is about spending time with the one that we love as simple as that. Hmm. That's great. Well, we've been talking with Father James Borick, Rector
1: of the Baltimore Basilica. Our discussion will continue in a moment right here on Catholic Baltimore.
3: Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has named its 2018 Teachers of the Year. The Elementary School Teacher of the Year is Kristen Zorica of St. John the Evangelist School in Severna Park. The High School Teacher of the Year is Jeannie Massey of St. Maria Goretti High School in Hagerstown, according to a June twelfth news release. The teachers were selected from 45 nominees, each of whom was voted his or her school's Teacher of the Year. Zorica and Massey were selected for the top honors based on their demonstrations of Catholic identity, innovative instruction, professionalism, and leadership. To read more on this story, visit CatholicReview.org. Are you called? If a young person feels a deep sense of peace when he or she prays and thinks about the possibility of entering religious life, that's a strong sign he or she may have a religious vocation, according to Sister Lourdes Marie Miranda, vocations director for the Little Sisters of the Poor. If your heart tells you that you want to go to Mass, pray, and get in touch with the Lord, that's the big thing, said Sister Lourdes, who is based at St. Martin's Home for the Aged in Catonsville. When others frequently point out qualities in an individual that would make him or her a good priest, brother, sister, or deacon, Sister Lourdes said, that's another possible sign of a religious vocation. Those who feel called should seek a spiritual director, Sister Lourdes said, who can help them in discerning God's will. To read more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Emily Rosenthal.
4: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at CatholicReview.org. That's CatholicReview.org.
5: The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues, and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m.
0: You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matasek, digital editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We've been speaking about Eucharistic Adoration with Father James Borick, the rector of the Baltimore Basilica. Father, it was Monsignor Arthur Valenzano, one of the really great priests of the Archdiocese who started Eucharistic Adoration at the Basilica and he actually established the the chapel there in the undercroft of the Basilica when he was rector, uh, not long before he died in 2015. I know that it was one of Monsignor's goals to have people gather there to pray for religious vocations, the call to priesthood and consecrated life. Could you tell us how there is that connection between adoration and the call to religious life and why praying and adoration seems to be such a powerful
2: way of helping people respond to that call? Sure. So um, religious life is simply, is a vocation and vocation literally means you know, to call, to calling from God. So what better way to understand your vocation than to literally go before the God of the universe, the one who is calling us, and to ask him, you know, what is it you want? I'm open to whatever you want. Lord, you know, if you want me to be a priest, I'll be a priest. If you want me to be a holy husband or wife, that's what I want. If you want me to be religious, I would love to do that. And to just go in front of him and to say, whatever you want, just make it known to me. And, you know, that's one thing I said to him, too, is, I'll do whatever you want. Like, I'll be your priest, but you've got to make it really obvious to me. And so one of the places that he makes it really obvious is, of course, in adoration, just literally in front of him. So people who go to adoration with an open heart and a real desire to do his will, you will always hear his voice. You will always hear your vocation because he wants that vocation known to you. It's your it's your ultimate source of happiness and your, your quickest way to, to heaven. So adoration, there is no better place to discern your vocation than in front of the the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people praying for vocations at the Basilica in the chapel there? There are, there are people praying all the time, every single Tuesday, you know, I I remind people at the 1210 Mass that uh, Jesus is downstairs in the Adoration Chapel and that we need to go down there and we need to ask him for for vocations, especially to the priesthood. That we're not gonna get it if we don't ask it and we're not gonna get it if we don't desire it. And uh, if we desire it and we pray for it, he's gonna provide. Could you talk a little bit about the
1: connection between vocations and adoration in terms of numbers, or is there any statistical
2: evidence that there is a direct impact or direct link between the two? I think there absolutely is. You know, you look at um, some of the, you look at some of the dioceses with the most vocations per capita, and in a place like Wichita, Kansas, comes to mind. Statistically, they have the most amount of Eucharistic adoration per capita as anyone in the country. And it's very interesting that they also have the most vocations to the priesthood per capita of anybody. So I think that that is ingrained in their culture, that it's something that's part of their, their Catholic life. And you see the fruit. I mean, again, if, if God is the one who's calling us then the Eucharist is truly God, then the, how, how better can we hear our vocation, whether it's to the priesthood or any vocation, than to go in front of him and to spend that time. So that correlation is very strong. You look at dioceses that have a lot of adoration, and almost without exception, they have a lot of vocations to priesthood, to religious life, and also to holy matrimony.
1: The establishment of the Adoration Chapel at the Basilica really has a fascinating history. The monstrance that holds the Eucharist there was actually fished out of a reservoir many years ago by a fisherman, right? Yeah. Could you talk about how that monstrance went
2: to the basilica from the bottom of a reservoir? <laughs> well, you may have to help me here because uh, I know you wrote a, a great article on this, uh, I think, in 2014. So you may have to help me with some of the facts. But, yeah, there was a fisherman probably about 20 or 25 years ago who was fishing in the reservoir, in Lock Raven and thought he caught this monster fish and is reeling it in. And by the time it, he was able to see what he hooked, he realized that it wasn't a fish at all, but it was this monstrance, literally this vessel which we use in the church to, to place the Eucharistic a host and adore our Lord in adoration. And of course, he had, really didn't know what to do with it. He knew it looked churchy, uh, it was Gothic looking, and so he took it to his parish. And we don't even, as far as I know, know what parish that was. And the parish priest received it and said, "That's a monstrance. Why don't you take it down to the basilica?" And I presume at that time, Monsignor Hobbes would have been rector, and it was in storage. I don't know exactly what what happened to it, but if we know that for about 20 years, it just sat in the basilica in storage, and eventually, when Monsignor Art discovered it, uh, I know that it was sent away and, and restored completely, it, and then. The chapel that was built downstairs was really custom-made for that beautiful monstrance and a special way to pray for vocations to the priesthood. So if there's more details than that, you're going to have to help flesh no, no, those out. No, I think that's a good
1: summary. And, of course, the Archbishop, Archbishop Lori, dedicated that chapel in Monsignor
2: Art's honor, right? Yeah, he was the first one to place Jesus back into that monstrance after it had been in the bottom of the reservoir for you know, who knows how long. So complete divine providence in all this. What kind of impact has adoration had at the basilica and on your parish? Well, I think the biggest thing is it's a source of unity. So you go back to, you know, the fermentum, which I had mentioned in the last segment, this practice where the bishops would bring a tiny piece of the host to another diocese and to another bishop as a sign of unity. And we have people from all over the diocese coming to the basilica, which really is sort of the mother church of the diocese. And it's, it is in and of itself a great sign of unity. But there is no greater sign of unity than people from all over our archdiocese coming to adore Jesus in the basilica. And, you know, I, again, I go back to the Rosary Congress. We had people from men's groups, from women's groups. We had schools. We had everybody coming to adore Jesus in the basilica. So it's been this great source of unity, this great source of prayer. Uh, the city has benefited from this. Again, as I mentioned, that for most of those days, there was no violence in the city. So it's had a tremendous impact. And it's also opened people's eyes just to the reality of what's possible, that we can do this and that if people come together and if city parishes come together and we unite in one location for a common purpose, that we can not only change our own parish, but we can change our city and and our archdiocese for good. And you mentioned that adoration is available on Tuesdays at the With What time? And how can people sign up to be part of it? So right now we have adoration on Tuesday from after the 7.30 morning Mass until 4 o'clock and it's in the Undercroft Chapel. There's a link online on our our website and you can sign up there or you can just simply email us and we're we're happy to give you more information. There's also information like I said on our website. And what is the website? www.americasfirstcathedral.org And how can people find out about
1: adoration at their own parishes do do most parishes have some form of adoration
2: most parishes i would say offer adoration at some point during the week uh, i would imagine that their parish websites would have that information uh, that they can simply call and ask their you know whatever parish office or ask the pastor and he'll certainly be able to tell them really quickly with adoration at the basilica do you have
1: families coming together or do you ever have married couples coming together to pray in adoration
2: we do you know we, especially during the, the the rosary congress again we do at the Basilica, we, we don't have a lot of young families. We have a lot of young adults, and I'll tell you what, my young adults are amazing. They, they come and they take you know all the night hours. It was amazing. They love it. People would come after work and pray. So my goal is that that we have more and more of this in the future and that that we do have young families and and older families coming and you know husbands and wives praying for each other. And that would be powerful. That if husbands and wives would commit to one hour a week praying for each other, you know, husband praying for the holiness of his wife, the wife praying for the hu- the holiness of the of the husband and for their children, that it right there is the key to changing our entire culture, I think, and the changing our our marriages and our families and strengthening the very fiber of our of our society. And would you like to see this expanded at the Basilica beyond? one day a week, uh, any possibility of adding days? Well, I told I told my congregation here that my desire is to have Eucharistic Adoration all the time. Uh, but you have to have the people that are willing to come in the door. And so right now, we're, we're just starting out. We have one day and we're able to fill that. But we need people to step up. We need people to say that we want this and that we're willing to commit to an hour. And that means penciling Jesus in, in your calendar. And that saying, you know what? there's nothing that's going to prevent me from making good on that hour. That he comes first. And so what we have to work on is building that culture of commitment that where people are willing to say the Eucharist is God, that I'm committing to spend an hour with him every single week, no matter what. And so I would say we're not there yet, but we're building and we're working on that. And my goal, I would love to have adoration all the time and be really a source of, a source of light for our entire city. I would imagine the Basilica one day of being a place where not just the Basilica parishioners come, but people from all over the city are coming, and people from all, maybe even all over the counties are coming to pray in this church, uh, the very mother church of our entire diocese, and in fact, our entire country. Well, Father Borg, thank you so much for joining us on Catholic Baltimore. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love this, this uh, topic, so anytime.
1: Once again, if you'd like more information on adoration at the Baltimore Basilica, just visit americasfirstcathedral.org. Again, that's americasfirstcathedral.org. And as Father Borg said, adoration is offered every Tuesday at the Basilica from 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. Again, that's every Tuesday from 8 to 4 p.m. in the Undercroft Chapel of the Basilica. And the chapel is open to everyone during those hours. You can visit at any time and pray before the Blessed Sacrament. Or as Father Borg said, you could also make an appointment uh, to keep a weekly time on Tuesdays to visit the chapel to pray before the Blessed Sacrament. Also, as we mentioned, there are several parishes in the Archdiocese that offer perpetual adoration where you could visit 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They include Immaculate Conception in Towson, St. Mary in Annapolis, St. Anne in Hagerstown, St. John in Westminster, St. Joseph in Sykesville, and Holy Family in Davidsonville. I'm George Matisek, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. We'll see you again next week.
4: Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org.